From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode 94. Today's show is brought to you by our friends Squarespace and Braintree. My name is Mike Hurley. I am joined by Federico Vitici. Ciao, Federico. Ciao, Mike. And Stephen Hackett. Uh, howdy, Stephen Hackett. <laughs> That's not how you do it. <laughs> really caught me off track there, honestly. Yeah. This is how I do it today. It's all Everything's out of the window. Yeah, we're going to jump right in. We're not doing any follow-up. Uh, we were already planning on recording a little bit later this week due to some other things. And about an hour before we recorded, Apple dropped a bunch of news. And so we had like three pages of WWDC predictions, which we're going to do, I think, maybe an abbreviated version of that at the end of the show. Uh, this show is going to be really focused on the App Store changes that were just announced. But first, Mike, you wanted to talk to us a little bit about Google Live Photos. Okay, so this app is called... Motion stills. stills. It may as well be called Google Live Photos. Like I don't know why you'd give it any other name. So Google dropped this app last night, which basically takes a look at your photo roll, looks at all of the live photos, um, does some magic to them, and then allows you to create movie files and GIFs out of them. Google is doing something with their AI big data photo processing stuff that they've been working on, I assume, with Google Photos to take a look at what's going on inside of your live photos, stabilize them, and as underscore David Smith put it on Twitter, makes them look like you meant to take them rather than just as an extra bonus to your photograph. If you've mm-hmm. not tried this app, it's free. It is, it's mind-blowing, and effectively, uh, Google have done a better job with processing of live photos than I think Apple ever could uh, and have kind of kind of made Apple look bad, in my opinion, because these what what this app spits out is incredible. And if you've played around of it, I found this whilst whilst messing around yesterday. When you click into one of the photos, there is uh, the little logo that they have in the bottom. If you hit it, it shows you what the live photo looks like and then what the motion still looks like. And you can see the difference between them. And it really kind of shows up how good they are. I am just blown away by this application. And I have one wish. And I, I really wish this could happen, that I could save these back out as live photos again. I wished it was possible to do that because I would just be processing all of my live photos that I care about through this application and saving them. It's a shame that you can only output them as GIFs and movies. Blown away by this. If anything, it's an argument in favor of how Google can use, what do they call it, big data mm-hmm. to kind of ship a consumer app that's easy to use, easy to understand, and the final product, it doesn't, it doesn't look a, like a lot of work. But in reality, Google is able to do this and to pull this off because they look at a lot of pictures, they look at a lot of live photos from iOS users, they know how to stabilize them, how to make them look pretty, and the end result is this you know, pretty nice package, but actually there's a lot of data behind the scenes. And if Google starts doing this kind of consumer-friendly, easy-to-use iOS apps based on their own, you know, cloud vision APIs or, you know, all of the data that they can gather from, uh, I don't know, photos, emails, you know, you can make this uh, the same argument for Google Inbox maybe, but if Google starts doing more of these, I think it'll be great because it'll, you know, sort of raise the competition for Apple to make even better apps because I feel like having tried these mo- motion stills, uh, now my live photos look all blurry and and, you know, what do you call something that moves a lot? Motiony? 
I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <Shaky>. unstable, maybe? <laughs> unstable, yeah. Motion is better. Because I have to say, idea. I'm maybe in the camp, the small camp of people that absolutely loves live photos. Um, I leave oh, yeah, it on constantly, too. and I am always surprised and happy about some of the, the little things that come through with live photos. I think it's fan- it's a fantastic feature. Um this app has has really shown me though how much better they could be and i i want i want this i want my live photos to just look like this google has done something kind of incredible here it's one of those things where it's like this is a as you kind of mentioned federico about you know the the uh using the data to create a consumer product this is kind of just like a really small thing that they've made you know it looks like a very small utility and it's like this is what we can do Yes, you know, and it's kind of like holy moly, okay, you know, that's kind of it's like wow, Apple would have loved to have been able to do this. They, it, this, I would assume this just cannot be done without all of that big data processing that occurs. And the crazy thing is, like, you're not uploading these photos anywhere to have this happen. It's just doing it, and that's what I don't understand. Like, how is it doing it? I'm blown away by it. Absolutely fantastic application. Uh, I love just looking at them. Got a few bugs in places. I mean, I've had a few issues, but the overall uh, debut, I would say, and this is a Google research project. It's not even meant to be like a full-blown app launch. You know, it's a small utility from Google research. Really well done. Really nice idea. Yep. I really hope that uh, like just one of those little SDK points for 10 is to be able to save live photos. You know, that would be real great. I would be very, very happy about that because then they could add it to this application and then I could do some processing and that would be awesome. Come on, Apple, make me happy. All (laughs) right, so we we kind of alluded to this up the top. Apple uh, released some huge news today via some uh, interviews with some news outlets about App Store changes. So we want to get into those. Uh, But before we do, let me take a moment to thank our first sponsor of this week's episode, and that is Braintree Code for easy mobile payments. Maybe you are hard work on the next Airbnb, GitHub, or Uber. You're working day and night, and you're coding like a crazy person. Why not use the simple payments solution that all of these companies use to help them become what they are today. Braintree makes mobile payments so fast, easy, and seamless, it's almost like magic. You can add it to your app with just a few lines of code, and you'll be instantly ready to accept Apple Pay, Android Pay, PayPal, Venmo, credit cards, and even Bitcoin. And if some other way to pay comes along, Braintree will support that too. If you're building a business that takes payments from people, being able to take payments in as many ways as possible is always a win. Braintree's fast payouts and continuous support means that you'll be ready whether you're earning your first dollar or your billion. See fewer abandoned carts and more sales with Braintree's best-in-class mobile checkout experience. Find out more today and check it out for yourself at braintreepayments.com slash connected. Once again, that's braintreepayments.com slash connected. Thank you so much to Braintree for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, so uh, let's pick a couple of news outlets here. So Phil Schiller sat down in the last day or two with a few, uh, namely The Verge, The Loop, and also John Gruber at Daring Fireball. 
Um, I'll include links to those because it's uh, a few different takes. Um, I mainly spent time with the Verges article. They had a really good in-depth article by Lauren Good. Uh, excellent reporting as always. And they did a good job of really making it a, a pretty article too, which is always a nice thing. Whew, this is big stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these changes are applying to all of their app stores and they've kind of got two, three really big things here. So the first up is something that we're all expecting them to do uh, on stage at WWDC, regardless of whatever changes were happening, which was to acknowledge the fact that app review has changed and they are making it faster. Don't really seem to go into too much detail as to how they're doing this, right? I haven't seen anything here. Have you guys seen anything from any of the reports about the how? They just said new processes, whatever it means. Yeah. And I think that's probably all we're going to find out, right? I assume maybe Apple want to limit the amount of ways that people could try and game this system because there's clearly a change to with more automated processing, I think, which is what we'd all assumed anyway. But um, this has changed significantly. Well, Gruber has uh, some more details, if you will. So according to his interview with Schiller, uh, it's three things uh, making the app review faster. Tool improvements... So technology, staff changes, and policy changes. And apparently Gruber asked Schiller about these policy changes, but Schiller didn't want to say anything. Of course he didn't. There you go. Uh, but a good statistic. We're at the point now, this is from Apple, that 50% of submitted apps are now reviewed within 24 hours and 90% are reviewed within 48. This, seeing that statistic coming from them, you know, we were kind of guessing it, that is an astronomically big change. Right, fifty percent within twenty-four hours. And in the Loop article, Phil Schiller says that it's like a hundred thousand app reviews a week. Which, I mean, I figured it was high. That number seems bonkers to me. And so you would think that to get that many reviews done faster, that whatever they change, whatever they're not saying, has to be significant to make such a big impact. Yeah, because then you're assuming from that, like you couldn't do with any reasonable amount. Of, of staff, 50,000 apps in 24 hours over a weekly basis, right? It's just no way you could do that. It just doesn't seem like something that you'd be able to give enough time to, right? Are you following me? I know that the numbers sound weird the way that I say them. But if you imagine that, like, if there's 100,000 a week, 50% of them in 24 hours, how many people would you need to make that happen if it was fully yeah. human-reviewed? There's no way that, th that they could do that. So they've got to be increasing it there. But this is good to see that it's been acknowledged because now that it's been acknowledged, I think maybe developers will be able to try and rely on it a little bit more, right? That you maybe will budget 48 hours in now rather than two weeks, if 90% within 48 hours. Federico, this has got to yeah. be great for you, right? When I mean, you're thinking about embargoes and stuff. Well, it it brings a few changes. Like it used to be that the developers would give me uh, an advance notice of maybe like a couple of weeks. <laughs> I've just realized for you, like the, the bad point is now, like you used to get a week to write a review. Exactly. <laughs> now you might get four hours to do it. No, no, I just got to get started beforehand. So a developer has to tell me, look, we're trying to submit an app by next week. Yeah. And at that point, I got to start writing because then I know that app review will happen within two days. But the idea here is that and of course, Apple doesn't want to confirm this, but the idea is that alongside, uh, you know, a better automated tools to kind of test the quality of an iOS app to see 
if it crashes or if he has, you know, private APIs. The idea is that uh, human app reviewers can maybe fast track um, apps from from trusted long-time developers. And Gruber says that this is an impression that he has. Apple doesn't want to confirm or deny this, so we can only speculate. But I, I feel like it's one of those things that behind the scenes, they would make sense. You know, if maybe Tapbots, for example, they have been developing Tweetbot for like five or six years now, and they go to submit an update and the Apple automation tools go look to the to the to the binary of the app. They test the app. It doesn't crash. It doesn't have any private APIs. The human reviewer is assigned this app. He sees Streetbot. He sees the reputation of the developer, and he goes like, "Okay, let's fast track this. I don't need to look at this at all." So maybe it's you know it's a, that's the kind of policy change that Phil Schiller is kind of hinting at. Mm-hmm. And of course, Apple doesn't want to confirm this because otherwise developers will go and ask for, so how do I become a long-time trusted developer? How can my app be fast-tracked for review without you know the human reviewer uh, getting back to me with every single question about my app? Uh, I feel like we will never know about this, but if it is the case, it makes sense. I, I, you know, I would feel that like that they probably there's like a score assigned to a developer, yes, yes. right? You know, like how many times have you had to expedite review? How many times have you had crashing apps? You know, how many times have you broken rules? That kind of refunds, stuff. refunds, yeah, refunds, example. all of that stuff. I mean, and this is the I guess a kind of a logical way to do it. Signs to a score and as a threshold for score, and if you've got a high enough score, they just let you through on the. Does it crash? No. Well, then we're probably good to go. Because the idea being then that, you know, you you want to be a good citizen. You don't want to do things you maybe shouldn't do because it would bring your score down if we think of it that way. So that is App Review. Um, I expect we probably won't hear about this one on, on stage now. I, I think because, you know, we, we'll talk about this later, but WWDC is just around the corner. They've, they've done all of this now. I still think that some of this will be recapped, but I think, you know, we all expected this was going to happen. Apple knows we've been talking about it for like a month. They've confirmed it. Job done, right? <laughs> like, we're all good now, guys. You've yes. given us what we were looking for. So this is a, another change here. So subscriptions. Subscriptions have existed in the App Store for a long time. Uh, They've been fixed to specific types of applications, like media applications, dating applications, that kind of stuff. You could have subscriptions, you know, like uh, productivity stuff, like uh, Microsoft Office apps and things like that. You could have subscriptions uh, in a... and you know you'd be able to manage them in a really old looking part of the app store have you ever been to that part when you go and manage your subscriptions and you get pinstripe screens it's pretty bad yeah i had to cancel one recently because i signed up for an app that i had to subscribe to to use and i only needed it for like one thing so i went in there to get rid of it and i was like oh Mm -hmm. hello ios 6 (laughs) i didn't know you were hiding (laughs) back here um but okay so what we have here basically is now it seems all applications can have a subscription model um and it will kind of be up front as a thing in the app store so what we have was like maybe buy and get we may now see subscribe and you'll subscribe for a fee uh, and it will be monthly, annually, however the developer chooses to to do it. This is one thing that's a little ambiguous in reading these articles and then reading a page on Apple's developer website, which we'll have the link for in the show notes as well. Apple really outlines two different types of apps that can do this. The first one being content apps, like what we've seen before. And the second one being services, which we've seen 
some apps do this, like Spotify and Evernote. You know, you can pay through the app store mechanism for their service. And Gruber points out, like, maybe Tweetbot or Twitterific, for instance, could implement this thing to have, you know, regular income coming in so they can continue to update their apps. But the way the the Apple page reads, that is really not for that. It says that although all categories of apps will be eligible, this model is not appropriate for every app. That needs to be something that comes with a service with, uh, quote, ongoing value worth the recurring payment yeah but couldn't that just be ongoing development like the quotes i don't that, think so. that schiller gives to the uh the verge seem to indicate that like he talks about games i mean and, and apple calls out games as a service that massive multiplayer online games are a service right but mm-hmm. could news apps be services like would you class tweetbot as a news app no uh, and what I would, and you know, thinking about an app like OneWriter, just to throw one that's on my home screen out, like it's a text editor. I don't think that they could get away with uh, doing some sort of auto renewable subscription. What I think this will lead to is undoubtedly, as this rolls out later, I think later this year, there will be articles we will write about, we will write them and talk about them, where a developer tries to do a subscription and Apple says no, and it makes yes. sense to everyone else that they should get in. Or vice versa, that someone, you know, who writes a text editor app tries to do an auto subscription. We're all like, what the hell? This is not an ongoing service. There's yep. going to be middle ground here that they have to figure out. Like, you know, I I completely agree with what you're saying, but this is where it gets ambiguous from The Verge. He suggests many enterprise apps can move to subscription and that professional apps that require a lot of maintenance and new features and versions would be a good fit. Like, yeah. isn't that every app? Like, it's really difficult. Is OmniFocus suitable for a new subscription on the App Store? It, it may because you get a sync service. I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know where the line is. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's tricky to understand because is Peacock uh, or... You know, I was just going to bring up James, right? Because he'll be the one to break it for everyone, right? Like, yes. <laughs> is, yeah. I don't know. Is Drafts a service or do you have to have some kind of web service component? Like, I don't understand. I get it for content like Netflix and Spotify and, you know, HBO, whatever. Uh, well, what, what it, when it comes down to, you know, indie or not necessarily indie, but just utilities. So like a text editor or uh, something like Ulysses. Uh, do you subscribe to Ulysses? I don't know. I struggle to understand this for two reasons. One, because it's different from what we used to have. And two, because the Apple documentation is kind of vague right now. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what Apple explains next week. Because Schiller says, we wanted to announce this so developers can come to WWDC and attend sessions about these changes while already having the knowledge of what is going on, what is changing. So there will there will be sessions about this next week. And I want to understand, because a lot of the articles that I read today seem to kind of follow the idea that, according to Apple, the future is on the App Store is subscriptions. And all of these articles mention developers have been, uh, you know, asking for paid upgrade pricing for uh, paid apps for a long time. 
and this is the answer. But then you go look at the Apple documentation and it says, well, look, you got to understand subscriptions are not for everyone and either your app falls in the content area or in the service area. And you still have to remember that there's different models that you need to need to you know know before uh, considering subscriptions. So you can do freemium, you can do free, you can do paid model, you can do premium. That's an ugly word, but it's on Apple's website. And so it's not like Apple is saying, look, everyone, drop your paid apps, drop your in-app purchases. We're all doing subscriptions right now. There are some changes, but my interpretation is that this is definitely not for everyone, at least not, not right now. And mostly because I don't know if Apple will accept everyone. I mean, if I have a calculator and I've been developing this calculator for six years... Is it like a service? Is it a recurring value? Whatever Apple calls it, no clue. So this reminds me of, I guess, App Store 1.0, right? Like the Verge calls this App Store 2.0, which is a funny line, but I can kind of see it. In that, here's a bunch of rules. We're not going to fully define them yet because we don't know yet, and <laughs> that's why. I, and again, like, like you know, the idea of them putting it out there now and then talking to developers <laughs> next week and then waiting for apps to be submitted over the next couple of months because it's like, okay, what are we going to do? Like, where does this work? We don't know if this works. And it is that idea that, like, something like OmniFocus submits and you're like, okay, we look at this app, we look how expensive it is, you know, we look at the work that goes into it. That makes sense. But then you look at something like, I don't know, uh, 123 Note Taker. Right, which has had like one update in the last four years, and it doesn't wow. do anything. You know, I'm sorry if this app exists; it probably does, and it's probably one, not two, good. three, not taker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and they look at it and be like, "Well, it doesn't make sense here," and they kind of have to try and judge it that way. Um, I'm, I this there's still more to go. We haven't spoken about it all yet. There's more pricing tiers. There's now 200 across countries and currencies. Um, and the Verge points out a good thing that, like, imagine a, a company like netflix they could have uh, their regular pricing in the u.s and if they've got an emerging market or a new company they can have a different pricing tier and a different currency in that country i think that's really cool and in the same idea if you're charging uh, you're a developer and you've got a subscription either currently right now or a subscription you know in a, in a year's time and you want to raise it for new customers you can do that and your current customers stay at the previous pricing i thought this is also a really good way to do introductory pricing right you have a new update out bring the price down and then you put it up a few months later and you keep the old people on the low price and new people on the new price Mm -hmm. Uh, and users are alerted of any pricing changes before uh it's made i'm interested to see what happens there right because this is stuff that we don't know yet, but these like implementation details. Let's say I'm using one two three note taker and they uh, and I'm paying every month because it's a really great app now. Um, and then they want to change it to a hundred dollars a month, and I don't want to pay that anymore. And I say no. What happens? Does the app go away? Can I not use it anymore? Do I just not get any more updates? Like, what happens well, in that in, scenario? In theory, like, you stop paying and the service ends. <laughs> right, so, but then does the app delete? You know, like, there's all of these, like, how does it, how does like it stop? Like, it shows you a message that says, look, you're not paying anymore. You're a cheap guy. You cannot use this app. But it's like, <laughs> one, two, three, note taker. You're charging me $100 a month. You, you're taking my notes ransom. And they're like, well, that's how it is. Uh, so, you know, and in the same vein, uh, like if I delete an application, just a subscription cancel because currently they don't, 
you know these the subscriptions that are, that exist right now if you delete the app the subscription continues um so you know i would like to see stuff like that changed but maybe it's because it's a real old system yeah something too listed in the subscription uh prices on apple's website is a way to kind of fake free trials uh, where if you have an auto renewable subscription you can set like the first subscription length which you can do like monthly every two months every six months or a year you can set the first one to be free and so someone can download a free app and have a free subscription to do whatever the app does and then they don't get billed until the free trial period is over unless they go in and turn it off Hmm. that's kind of cool it is but well that's that's not new is it uh, well, I don't know. It's I think some of the wording here is different, but the what's interesting to me in it is that does uh, is there going to be a temptation for developers where if you download an app and you don't pay for a subscription. You know, right now we think of subscriptions as, you know, I download the newspaper app, but no new articles come in unless I pay. Are we going to be in a world where you download an app and it does nothing? It's just a shell until you turn on a subscription. And if that's true, that's where we're going, then this free trial language makes more sense because I can download the app and I can actually see what it's like. And then if, you know, if it's not for me, then it's not for me. But I don't know. I don't know how much of this is new or not, but it's something that I think some developers are going to be playing with and trying to implement in new ways. Yeah, because it like flat out says on developer.apple.com, for example, for a monthly subscription, you can offer users a seven-day or one-month free trial. Now, the difference here, and you're right, Federico, this has existed before, the difference here is if OmniFocus goes to a subscription model, which it couldn't have done before, if it can do that, that is a very different scenario, right? Like, you're now in in the part where OmniFocus can give a free trial, which they couldn't do before. Right. I feel like I feel like the, the the bigger question here. So let's assume that where the Apple documentation is not clear yet, but any developer, uh, like uh, Gruber says, uh, Tweetbot or Twitterific, whatever, will be able to use this model, so free subscription as a trial, and then charge I don't know annually or every two years uh, for a version of an app, and then you know another subscription when the the current version is updated, like a major update the developer decides. So let's assume that everyone will be able to do this. Would you guys pay for your text editor or your graphics editing app or your task manager? Would you subscribe to those apps? Or how does this possible change make you feel? Uh, okay. Lots of my friends are developers. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I, I love them all and I want them to eat. And I'm happy to, to pay for software. What I, I, but I have to say, I'm a little uncomfortable with the idea of every app on my home screen, I pay monthly for it. There's just like, a, uh, like that could really start adding up, right? If I'm paying $2 a month for 20 apps, as opposed to like $5 a year for them or something. Mm-hmm. And and I know that what it does is like quadruples the revenue that these people can get. But what that also does is quadruples the amount of money I have to pay. And, and it quadruples I, the app fatigue that a lot of people are already feeling. And, uh, so I don't know. Like maybe what it is then is I just pick and choose my apps more and I download mm-hmm. less new apps. 
because mm-hmm. I don't want to enter into all, like a myriad of new subscription prices. Like maybe I don't download a new game or two games every week for like two pounds a pop because I'm concerned that I don't want to pay two pounds a month in case I don't play this game and don't delete it yet. Because like well, for some people, I will download an application and I don't touch it for a while. Right, like I download a game and I don't play it for a while because of whatever reason, but I've downloaded it. I'm going to keep it until I check it out, and I'm just thinking like, will it change the way that I approach buying applications? Like, will it be that like initially, way too many people jump on this? You know, like the original app store, right? Like people just ran in and they were like, "Here's this app cost twenty pounds, and we all pay for it because we had no idea what we were doing." You know, like, is that what's going to happen? I don't know. Like, but I feel like I could end up in a scenario where I have to make more decisions than I do right now. Where, like, right now it's like super easy. I just think to myself, oh, here's that money. And it's like gone. And well, now, well, I go, hmm, do I want to subscribe to this? Like, and then I don't ever download it. And that developer doesn't get any money out of me then, where they might have got some out of me before. The upside, Mike. So, my counter argument would be if everyone or if a lot of developers at least switch to this model, you will actually download more apps because of the free trials. So you will get to try more apps. And eventually, once you find something that works for you, you will start paying for that app. So you will have more choice initially, and then you will narrow down your choices to the app that works for you. You will subscribe to that app. And, you know, it's like a you know, the, the best apps will will survive, if you will, you know, uh, comes down to the quality and kind of the purpose of an app, if it has the features that you're looking for, if you like the design. So the better app succeeds, you know, so you will be able to download, you know, a bunch of, I don't know, a bunch of different one, two, three note takers. And then you choose the note taker that you prefer, you subscribe to that one. And it looks like uh, there's some nice nice changes for developers once you subscribe, I mean, you can have multiple tiers for like uh, levels, such as like bronze or silver or gold. Like, I mean, I'm thinking for my own subscriptions for Club Max Stories, I could have like a gold membership that is better than this normal membership. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's now possible with the new subscription APIs. Or you can have cheaper prices for like emerging markets that used to not be possible with the previous uh, subscription APIs. So once you do get a subscriber, it looks like you will, as a developer, you will have better tools, which is a nice change. As a customer, as a consumer, I think there will be a spec. I mean, and that's a big if. If you know developers of the kind of apps that we use will be able to do this, I think there will be a change of kind of habits. The way that we discover app apps used to be, we do our research before we read app reviews, and then. You know, we choose the app and like we got we got one shot. We buy that app and it has to work for us because the refunds are terrible. Now it looks like the, the, the way that things will be in the future is we'll try an app from the app store with a free subscription, we'll try them all, and then we'll choose one and we'll start paying for that one. 
it's different. That feels like a as a as a consumer, that feels like a nicer way to do it, right? Like that yeah. you download a bunch of free apps because they're all subscriptions, and you try them, and you pick the one that lasts. But like, it's like understanding where that's gonna fall, right? Because then I, I just imagine that, like, that as I say, like, let's say that the the ten fifteen apps I have on my home screen will go to subscription. So well, that's very different to the way that I'm doing it right now, and and it's just trying to see how this ends up shaking out. But I agree, there are roots in all directions. This could either be really really great or not so great um and it's wondering where it falls within that greatness spectrum um to see how this actually starts checking out there is one thing that we haven't mentioned yet which is maybe the biggest piece of news in all of this the apple cut percentage drop yes so everybody knows 70 30 apple gets 30 the developer gets 70 after somebody is subscribed for a year to an application apple's cut is now dropped by 50% to 15% is what they take. So it's cut in half. Um, And this, very interestingly, this new revenue split starts on June 13th for all applications that currently use subscription. That's weird, right? Like, why are they doing... Like, all the rest of this is happening in the fall. It will be with iOS 10, I'm sure. Why are they doing the, the revenue part on Monday? I mean, maybe it's a a good, you know, good faith effort, good will kind of thing, where they say, hey, let's go ahead and get the clock counting now. I'll tell you why, Mike, because there's Logic Pro is coming to the iPad and there will be a subscription. <laughs> yeah, but this, there is no <laughs> subscription currently. Well, and also Apple keeps 100% of that. Well, whatever. <laughs> I was wondering, like, maybe someone like Amazon, maybe someone like Netflix, like they're like, it's okay, guys. We're going to take less from you. You know, uh, this is interesting, and, and, and I feel like it it kind of puts the spotlight on giving developers the proper recognition, you know, because initially Apple gives you a lot of uh, advantages with using the App Store, so you don't have to care about hosting and, you know, uh, search, because there's when it works, there's uh, the App Store search. Uh, it gives you promotion. It gives you a CDN for screenshots and videos. Uh, so it makes sense to ask for a, for a bigger cut initially. But then after a year of service, you know, when uh, Apple has kind of recouped their costs, uh, it makes sense to switch to, uh, you know, to, uh, to, you know, to give more money to the developer because the developer is doing most of the work maintaining an app. Um, it's interesting because just today... Before Apple announced these changes, I saw uh, the developers of Sketch, the popular um, Mac app for designers, um, they also basically changed to a subscription model. So Sketch very famously exited the Mac app store uh, a few months ago. And today they they had this announcement, uh, which was kind of confusing at first, then they added a bunch of clarifications that there's no longer going to be uh, major versions, major upgrades. So like from Sketch 3.9 to Sketch 4.0. Instead, they will switch to a subscription model that you buy for an you pay for an app like a hundred dollars. You can use that app for a year with free updates. And then you will have to pay $99 again for the another year of usage. But unlike uh, most subscription models, when what you mentioned, Mike, what happens if I stop paying? Uh, the Sketch developers have figured out this system where 
you stop paying, you will get stuck on the current version. It'll keep working. You will just no longer get uh, free updates or the next version of the app. And this is interesting timing because just today Sketch announces this model and Apple comes out with these changes. I have to wonder, I mean, I, I see no relation between the two, but I have to wonder if at some point maybe Sketch will reconsider the idea of not making an iOS app, an iPad version, or coming back to the Mac App Store. It does seem to me like Apple is laying the groundwork for developers of this kind of pro software where you know, the really heavy users want to pay for those apps. Maybe in the future we'll finally see, you know, Sketch for the iPad Pro or a real Photoshop for the iPad Pro, you know? It does seem to me like this is not for everyone. So if you come up with a $2.99 utility to change, you know, text from lowercase to uppercase, maybe a subscription is not what you're looking for. Uh, but if you're, even if you're a small team, but making a really popular app such as Sketch, uh, maybe this is something that will make it possible for you to have a, an iOS version or to go back to the App Store and the Mac App Store. Yeah, the, the implications for the Mac App Store... Are, are really interesting because the the pricing thing has come up. I mean, sandboxing is a big a big issue too. We'll see if that makes a mention on Monday. But you know, Sketch actually just this morning rolled out uh, an announcement about subscription pricing for their app, and they very famously, very loudly pulled out of the Mac App Store. What was it? I think the end of last year. And so I don't know if this is enough to bring them back or bring somebody uh, back without fixing sandboxing, but it is. Like when I think about this, I can see the repercussions for the Mac, and I can see how it would it would make the Mac App Store potentially more inviting to developers. If you think about some of the big software on the Mac now, I mean, I'd pay for Office and I pay for the Adobe Creative Cloud Suite, uh, both monthly, and it comes out of my out of my credit card and it's done. And up until now, this has not been possible for develop who developers who want or need you know, ongoing revenue from their app, and they want the benefits of being in the Mac App Store. So even though the Mac App Store, as far as I can tell, didn't get any specific mentions in any of this, the fact that this is coming everywhere, I think will benefit the Mac. The fact that they said this is coming everywhere suggests that there will also be some other stuff for the Mac App Store, right? Like if they're going to make some changes to it, please make all the changes to it. Yeah. The other uh, thing that's coming here is search ads. We spoke about this weeks ago, right? There was a Bloomberg piece, I think. Mm -hmm. um, this is interesting. So developers will be able to buy keywords. Um, a developer only pays when someone clicks on the ad. The ad will show in searches. A small blue banner pops up at the top. There's a little tab that indicates it's an ad. But it does look visually different. Um, it looks like you maybe can or can't include images on it. Um, it depends. I guess maybe it's higher rate or something because it will take up more real estate or maybe it's done on screen size. I'm not sure. I haven't read all of the documentation as we speak. Um, it seems like there is going. there are lots of interesting restrictions about user data. So... Apple is saying they will not be sharing user data with developers. Users have the ability themselves to opt out of Apple's search ad data tracking um, and location tracking if they want to. Uh, I don't know what would happen to ads showing for you if you did that. 
um, but Apple is going to be creating search profiles of people, not tracking personal info. So what I assume is they will understand what they understand about you. They will then bump you into, like drop you into a bucket, right? You're in this type of person bucket, which then a developer can buy ads to show for this type of person is what I would assume. Um, there is an auction system that developers will, will buy into. Um, so you'll bid on keywords, very much like how Google does it. Uh, Phil Schiller says um, that apparently they're going to try, this will somehow be fair to indie developers and big companies. I don't know how you do that in an auction system because an auction system is whoever pays the most gets the word. So right. I would love to see how that's going to be uh, it's going to be fair. This goes into beta on Monday. I really don't know what to think. I mean, <laughs> it seems like Apple is leaving money on the table for Google and Facebook to grab with the app install ads. I just, you know, I feel like to be, we're not the best people to to comment on ads because we as geeks have you know, ad blocking vision. Uh, we we naturally block uh, things that looks like uh, banners or ads on the web. Um, uh, if anything, I really uh, I really think John Syracuse uh, on Twitter he has a point when he says they don't really look that different. Uh, f- you know, paid ads from normal uh, app results uh, on the App Store search. They look different to us because we've been trained after years of staring at computer screens to recognize, you know, those little labels and different backgrounds. But I bet that most people will just click on the on the first uh, paid advertisement for an app. And in that case, maybe it's a good idea for Apple. It it you know what maybe bothers me is that. Maybe like Google, uh, I don't say this about Facebook because I don't have those feelings about Facebook, but it sort of breaks the purity of search results, you know, uh, because you say, look, we came up with this crazy awesome search engine and it's so intelligent and it, you know, it can figure out the best results for you. And we use data in a bunch of different ways to give you the best results at any time. But then, oh, by the way, you just as long as you pay, you can be the first in the first spot. It sort of breaks that purity of design of search. But, you know, people are clicking them, money is being generated, and everyone seems to be happy, so who am I to comment on that? You know? I know I click Google Ads. Oh, me too. Uh, occasionally, when I see an offer, like I'm uh, Googling, I don't know, restaurants or, you know... Uh, uh, hotels, you get the coupons from Google Ads. I, I occasionally do that as well. But I do know that I'm clicking on an ad. You know, a lot of people have no clue that there are ads on Google search. They just see a bunch of links. If it's what they're looking for, though, it's not a problem. And that's where it becomes difficult. Who is going to be able to buy, like, tweet? Exactly, or how many developers will pay for markdown or i don't know image cropping <laughs> who's gonna buy email exactly i mean yeah. wanna bet against google and microsoft there with outlook yeah. and gmail <laughs> yeah is airmail gonna be able to afford to buy the, I don't the, think the word so. email i mean and i assume that they won't you won't be able to buy trademarks um but that could be difficult though because like what if your application is called one two three note taking, uh, and somebody else but makes a ca- a calculator and a note taking application, 
and they buy the keywords one, two, three and note taking. And somebody searches for one, two, three note taking looking for your app and they're given a nicely blue highlighted. So that must be the one you're looking for. And it's not the application. Right. Like there is some real difficult stuff in this. The and developer of one to three note taker really has a is having a tough time. Or a <laughs> good day. Like I've maybe put in a lot of a, a lot of uh <laughs> oh dear. Uh, Wor- worst app story ever, Mike. One to three note taker. First it's not updated for like two years, and then it switches to subscriptions and wants to buy an ad. <laughs> well he sister subscriptions got better and but now can't get visibility in search because everyone's buying his keywords. Um, I, I just wonder how this is going to play out. And so this is, okay, Google Ads are pretty good. They're not always that good. There was a, an interesting story recently, EU referendum happening right now, um, and the No campaign were buying up keywords this week uh, for people to register to vote. If you typed in register to vote on Google, there was a, an ad that popped up. It looked like it was taking you through to sign up to register to vote, but you weren't. Right, so you weren't re- being able to register to vote because they didn't want people to register because then they might be registering to to keep us in the European Union. So there are definite problems with this. This is Google having this problem. The company has done this stuff for over a decade, nearly maybe two decades. This is the first time Apple's done this stuff. I'm discounting iAd. This is the first time Apple's done anything like this, and they are implementing this system in a massive way on the app store one of the biggest e-commerce platforms on the planet i just i really struggle to see how they're going to get this right they don't have the 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 company knowledge in this they don't do this stuff i don't i don't know you know what makes me curious is Currently, if you go to the App Store and search for mail, you get a top result, which is like one of those custom banners that Apple gives you. So in theory, if you pay for an ad, you should be able to rank higher than Apple uh, with a a mail ad. Unless Apple Uh, bid the most. (laughs) And pay themselves. So (laughs) what it comes down to, (laughs) let's just shift money from accounting to... to, to. PediQ is just in there bidding late at night on keywords. So what it comes down to is exactly keywords. So if I if I'm a you know I'm a I'm I'm a user, I open the app store and I search for email and I see a promoted result. Well, I don't know it's a, it's a paid ad, but I just see Outlook. Like yeah. okay, you know, Microsoft has Outlook on iOS, it's pretty cool. I'm going to download Outlook and I'm going to be happy. But now I'm a different type of user and I go to the app store and I uh, search for email power user or, I don't know, email workflow. Because I expect to to see stuff, you know, a different type of email client, such as, I don't know, Spark or Airmail. Is Apple able to kind of narrow down the results based on those keywords? That's the idea, right? Because if I search for email, that's a general type of search. Like looking for hotel on Google means everything, means nothing. But if I look for, uh, you know, more specific keywords, the system should be able to surface apps from smaller developers who have invested, uh, you know, a smaller amount of money and show them to me, which is, you know, the, the implication is even if our own search, so even if normal non-paid for 
App Store Search is not able to surface results for apps such as Tweetbot or, you know, Airmail, the developer will be able to invest like 50 bucks or 100 bucks to buy that spot so that when that, that type of user searches for that kind of app, it'll come up. That's the perfect idea. I, I, I don't know if it'll work in practice. That's my concern. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a, I mean, just a minefield of stuff to worry about. And Google's been doing it a really long time. And I think Apple can get there. I think they can get it done right. But I would imagine there's going to be a period of, of learning and, and of, um, you know, problem solving that people will find loopholes and people will find ways to sort of game the system. But it's, um, you, you know, at the end of the day, I, I agree with the notion that a lot of people aren't going to see these as, um, as ads that they're going to kind of just uh, move past them or they're going to, you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how big of a difference it's going to make. And of course, anytime you have a bidding system, there's a problem with the rich get richer type situation. But on the, like the backside of all this conversation is the privacy angle, right? That's what so many people talk about. when We talk about Google ads that, you know, you um, actually happened to me just the other day. I was looking at something on Amazon and then I, you know, uh, I'm on Facebook, and that that product I was looking on Amazon is suddenly in a Facebook ad, right? Like, and I don't, I understand how that works. It doesn't bother me, um, but Apple has a very different take on all of that from Google and Facebook and everyone else. And so there is a there's a page, um, uh, search ads and privacy on Apple's developer site, um, and basically what it boils down to is that no one is getting data from users. Um, individual developers who are running ads, um, all they have is the relationship based on like direct interaction. And so you can't see, if you're buying a keyword, you can't see how, you know, data based on other keywords. Um, there's some contextual information shared with developers, but nothing that's um, really all that uh, invasive, I don't think. And none of it goes to third parties in line with Apple's overall. And Apple has, um, at apple.com slash privacy, they have a company-wide privacy policy, and they're saying that search ads fall underneath uh, that existing language. And so, you know, there's there's segmentations, there's, there's stuff that advertisers can do here, but it seems like it's going to be much more anonymous than something like uh, Google AdWords. I'm. I mean, I'm not worried about this kind of I'm stuff. Not, I'm not either. I'm not worried about it on Google. Like, I don't. I don't. You know, no. that doesn't bother me. I know how it works. My living is based on advertising. I don't have a problem with it. Nobody's buying an ad to show to Mike Hurley, right? Like, oh, we must buy an ad for that one person. Like, That's you know, really what sad. What are you worried about? What are you worried? Maybe one, two, three. Note taker will. You know, because <laughs> I'm clearly the target market now. Um, that the ad privacy stuff is kind of just like. We say, we, I mean, I'm sure they're doing all this stuff and it's great, but like, it's just like it, it makes it sound better than it is. At the end of the day, they're selling random data now, which in a way that they weren't doing before about more people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, this is a step in a camp that is not uh, a regular Apple camp. I was about to say a phrase that I won't say. But I think you all know what it was. Easy, easy. But I'm not going to say it. I'm not saying it. So you can't can't blame me. Hmm. But you know what it is. And, and I genuinely believe that. That's all I'm going to say. We could still blame you. 
You can still blame me, but I haven't said it. I could mean anything. <laughs> but do you guys agree with me on that thing that I haven't said? Probably. Federico? Maybe. It seems really unlikely, right? This this feels like a new Apple thing. Wouldn't have happened before. Mm. I don't know. I feel like maybe it's just, you know, it's just evolution. It doesn't matter if we, who is alive or isn't. Hey, what are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, That's not it's just, say. you know, things change uh, always. Sure things, they do. You know, what's what's the, the Greek philosopher said, uh, Pantarei? You know, uh, like everything flows. Uh, and it's that was just John a, Lennon. No, uh, was not Greek, uh, or but he was a philosopher. Anyway, um, it's just the current natural state of things to change. So whoever is in charge, uh, you know, has to recognize change. That that's what makes great, you know, executive people to be able to notice change, to be surrounded from like-minded individuals who can spot changes. And now at this point in time. I can understand why Apple sees, you know, there's uh, these companies, Google and Facebook, are getting a lot of money uh, to show uh, app install ads to people who are not even looking for apps because they're either searching or checking their selfies on Facebook, but they're making lots of money because people want to download apps, new apps and games. So why don't we also make some money when people actually do search for new apps to try? In theory, I understand, and it's maybe even a good idea. It's not the the, the 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 purest form of technology that I like because I mean, come on, you're buying an ad. It's not, you know, it's not sexy, if you will, uh, but it works. You know, advertisement works, and especially app install ads seem to be a profitable business for for a, a lot of companies, a lot of people. So I do understand why Apple wants to do it. I remain skeptical that they will be able to put up a system that is accurate and that also kind of is able to balance, you know, the bigger companies with a lot of cash and the indie developers who want to promote, you know, uh, uh, one, two, three, note taker with markdown features for, <laughs> you know, URL scheme automation. Uh, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes sense. It, I'm just a little skeptical. All right. Sharing is the last part. Not really much yet. I don't really understand this. Uh, when on apparently on the share sheet, so the, on the on the home screen, you'll be able to three D touch on an icon and pops up a share sheet, and you'll be able to share apps with your friends. Yeah. See, I I have many thoughts about that. So, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna tell you my thoughts. Uh, right after this commercial. No, I've always dreamed to do that, but there's no commercial. Take a break if you want. <laughs> no, no, no. I just wanted to say that. Uh, I don't know why. Anyway, I think it's a terrible idea to have a fixed uh, option in the in the limited space of the quick action menu on the home screen because developers are currently limited to four choices for the quick... Uh, assuming this is the quick action menu, I have to assume it is. In the current version of iOS, the options, the space that developers have is limited. And for Apple to come in and say, okay, look at that fourth option. Yeah, ain't that nice? Well, we're going to replace that with the share icon. I don't <laughs> think that will be the case. I think we're, we're looking at a redesign of the 3D touch yeah. menu on the home screen coming with iOS 10. 
because it it seems like a terrible idea to force to force a, a share option upon developers. So maybe there will be a second menu, or maybe there will be like a swipe option. You 3D touch on an icon, then you swipe to reveal a bunch of additional actions. One of them being share, or I don't know, delete. Maybe the maybe the wiggle thing is going away. I don't know, no. but it sounds to me. Sounds to me like a redesign of the home screen for 3D Touch is coming. Yeah, I think that you're completely right. It would be so weird to, to put the share thing on what we currently have. I don't understand. Like it's such limited real estate. Why would you put it there? Um, it would make sense that there might be some a completely different view come Monday. Yeah, even, even then, I mean, and I agree with you guys. You can't stuff a share sheet in there. I mean, my thought was maybe it says share or something and then it opens the share sheet. But even then, and even if they redesign it, unless there's just like tons of space to spare, like I don't know if, if putting ways to share apps to your friends, like that is a that is a thing for developers. And again, like Mike, you said, we're friends with lots of developers. But... Th- if if promoting apps is like gets in the way of the user experience uh from the customer's perspective then i think that's the wrong decision you know right now if you go in the app store you know you can you can tap and you can share but it's it's a little hidden and it's not it's not super uh super great and i could see like how how great would it be if you could 3d touch on an app icon in the update list right oh my gosh like you know, uh, Instagram had an update and I can just share it like from there. Like that sort of more natural is a more natural place to me than the home screen. But I agree with you guys. Like I will reserve uh, judgment until we see how it looks. But I I do have concerns here. Uh, But I think that the underlying uh, desire for Apple is is good that they they want to make it easier to share share apps that you're using. You know, in the uh, in the loop uh, article there's some there's a section about the feature section of the app store apple's going to be approving that bringing the categories tab back uh which has like come and gone over the years and make it more easy to browse through apps because there is a huge discovery problem even if you set aside search completely just going through the app store sort of manually is difficult and you know sometimes you see a, a tweet go by about a about an app and you can click on that but it could all be easier, and I understand them wanting to do that. I guess people being able to share apps with each other is nice in a in a perfect world. I think the people that share apps already share apps. You know, I don't think that necessarily putting a three D touch action is going to increase app shareability. It's just going to make it easier for the people that already do it to just do it from another way you know uh, by the way if you do share apps with anyone i would like to recommend a fantastic app by our friend john Voorhees called blink oh, yes. because you should always assign an affiliate tag to it even if you're saying to a friend because that's money back for you my friends so check out blink it's a, a great affiliate linking application and he also has an app called associate now which does the same for uh amazon which is mm-hmm. awesome go check those apps out yeah uh, links uh, in the show notes. i'll tell you what guys i think that people who share um apps uh, with other people online with the default messages are weird like you know how you share an app and there's like a pre-composed message with a bunch of exclamation points like go check out this app and you know it's super creepy i think it's weird i i never share apps like that you know 
like with with the message that a developer wrote for me, I don't like it. So I I I don't think I'll be a fan of this option if it's done in this way. Unless they have a direct share to Mac stories, you know, they just built that right into the share sheet for you. Well, in that, that case, it has it has to append a, a link to a Mac stories review if it, if it finds one. In that case, I will approve. You will approve. Yes, <laughs> that's that's nice. That's real good. Of you. <laughs> All right. Why now? Why today? See, my idea is they don't want this possible controversy that is rising today. You know, the feedback from developers, the questions about ads and and subscriptions to be the focus of the post keynote announcements. Other reason, uh, maybe it's just too long and they don't want to have like a three hour keynote. Uh, and they get to hold sessions about these topics with developers already being prepared, with developers already having questions because they had the, almost a week to think about them. So they can go to the sessions, go to the labs, be prepared, ask questions. I think it makes sense in this case. You know what? That's probably it. All of those things make perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, of course you do it if you think of it that way. Very clever, especially the part about giving developers time to think about it. I think give them a week to think about it. So, or however many days it is. Clearly, I have I have shown over the last two weeks. I have no idea when WWDC is. Right, last week it was a week away. Today it's a week away. It was neither a week away last week or this week. Anyway, uh, I think it's good to give people time to think about it so they can come prepared. It's like so many of our developer uh, friends say, like, you know, and, and uh, David was talking about this on Under the Radar a couple of weeks ago, um, that it was, you know, that if you're going to sessions, come prepared to those sessions so you don't waste your time or you're going to labs, come prepared. Like, think about what you would want to ask. Mm-hmm. This is just that, right? Having the idea of thinking about what you want to ask. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Anything else on this? I mean, I think I think the big, like the meta view here is that uh, clearly Apple's been at work and has been listening and is is trying something. I mean, it's been, you know, what is it, eight years since the iOS App Store launched and there really have been very few structural changes after in-app purchase was added. And so... To see changes, and you know, obviously there are problems with some of these, and there's going to be a lot of figuring it out, but to see them doing something is encouraging to me. And I'm sure it won't all be, won't all be perfect at first, but I do think that they realize that, that there are problems in the App Store economy. And so much of what's in here is really designed to help make development, and in particular, independent development, which is, of course, the world we live in, more sustainable. And yes, I mean, the rich will always get richer in the App Store, but I can see in here the desire to make smaller apps and smaller teams more sustainable. And that's something that I can get behind 100%. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. This episode is also brought to you by 
Squarespace, the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. You can start building your own site today at squarespace.com and use the offer code WORLD at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. With easy-to-use tools and templates, Squarespace will help you capture every detail of what drives you, because if it's worth the effort, it's worth sharing with the world. And Squarespace make it easy for anyone to share with the world. It doesn't matter if you know any type of coding or not. It doesn't matter what your skill level is with building websites. You can just put something together on Squarespace. Everything's drag and drop. They have fantastic tools, beautiful templates that feature responsive design. They have all the features that you're going to need to get a great looking site out into the world. Whether you want to set up a blog, a page for your business, a page for your band, a store because they have their commerce functionality, a cover page, you know, you just want a single page website for an announcement that you're working on. Squarespace make it easy for everyone. Even if you know how to do all of this stuff, but just don't want to have to worry about hosting, ongoing development, security updates. If you don't want to have to worry about any of that, Squarespace is also great for you. They have state-of-the-art technology that they use to ensure security and stability. And this is why Squarespace are trusted by millions of people around the world. They have 24-7 support. They have a dev platform, so you can dig into the code if you want to and uh, do whatever you like in there. They also give free domain names if you sign up for a year. Squarespace plans start at just $8 a month. And you can try it out today for free with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up, Make sure that you use the offer code WORLD, W-O-R-L-D, to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for Connected. Thank you to Squarespace for the continued support of this show and Relay FM. So we had a whole episode planned to talk about WWDC predictions. Uh, we're not going to do all of that now. We're going to pick some and we're going to do our very favorite thing in the world. We're going to go round robin. Um, I hope someone's going to kind of keep the order of the round robin because mm. you know how like that can get really messy. Uh, Stephen, I'm going to go to you first. Okay. You can get the first pick round robin style. Pick something, uh, maybe limit it to OS 10 and iOS uh, that you're hoping for at WWDC. No one cares about TVOS anyways. It'll be fine. Except for Joe Steele. It's not his real name. The... I'm going to go for my first round Robin pick um, with what I think will be a crowd pleaser, especially if Jason Snell's in the crowd, uh, about the name that that the Mac OS rebranding will happen this year. Obviously, there's some collision with Mac OS X and iOS X. The X is as dated as the second Matrix movie. It's time to move on. And I think that we will see Mac OS. I'm not willing to say if it will be the correct way. <laughs> capital M with a space or not, but um, I think the rebranding will happen. All right. What do you think the name will actually be? I think they will do uh, Mac OS and then the California code name. So Mac OS Death Valley. Any number? Uh, I think that the number will exist in like system profiler because it has to have a version number, but I think on the outside... There will not be a there will not be a public facing number. In that regard, what will iOS be called? iOS ten. iOS ten. <laughs> I know that sounds like a, a dumb question. So so here's the thing. I think that w- where OS ten is in its life cycle, the exact version matters less. When you were in like ten two, ten three, ten four, those were all drastically different from each other. Mm-hmm. You know, you're seventy to El Capitan. You set somebody down in front of them; they can't tell the difference. OS ten is more mature in many ways. It is moving more slowly. 
So I think that the number is like, the number is a really clear indication that there were big differences and that is still a thing in iOS's life and it's not a thing in the Mac's life anymore. What do you think the number will be though? Probably 10.12. I don't think they're going to go to, I think if they go to 11, they will do it when iOS does just to keep it consistent for people who see it. Because then everything will be on 11, right? Yeah, but I don't think that's going to be a public thing. WatchOS doesn't follow the same numbers, does it? But tvOS does. tvOS does because they they like hijacked on to iOS at iOS 9. And so TVS, tvOS is weird, but I think I think it's sort of like the Mac where the, ver- the exact version doesn't really matter to people. Yeah. Federico, do you have any thoughts on that? You agree with Steven? I mean, what kind of thoughts are there to have? It's a name. <laughs> I, just, I just don't see the big deal from a lot of people speculating on this, including you too, but in a loving way. Because well, you don't care <laughs> at all. <laughs> I mean, I'm in the middle, right? But like, you know, people really care about this because lots of people really it's do care name. about the name. What does it matter? You just have to all use right. the computer. You don't look at the name. You use it. Well, let's see if they if they call this iOS teaching. We'll see if you care about names then, huh? That's awesome. If you ask me, they can call it iOS Coca-Cola and I won't care as long as it's great. <laughs> Federico, tell us something you do care about. The name. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really do. I'm sorry. I really do care about, um, let's see, improvements to iPad multitasking. I feel like... Um, what we got last year with the split view uh, was nice, was great, uh, especially on the big iPad Pro. It has changed kind of the way that I use the iPad uh, because I'm, I'm in split view all the time, basically. And I save a lot of time, you know, doing stuff, moving like from my Twitter client to Slack and to my text editor. But I do want to see a new app uh, picker design because the current one shows you the last uh, this is a thing that not a lot of people know. But the three apps that you see when you swipe down in Split View, those are not uh, a random choice or the last three apps that you opened. That's a very conscious design decision from Apple's engineers. Those are the last three apps that you used in Split View. It's kind of confusing. I still kind of don't get it, but that's the way that it works. Uh, I want to see a new design there. I want to have a search bar. I want to have favorites and I want to have like a more compact view. That's kind of like a home screen with a lot of all of my apps. So it's faster to say switch between apps, to search for apps and to kind of to, to move, you know, if I opened, I don't know, Ulysses like two days ago. Uh, so I don't have to scroll and scroll and scroll to find it, you know? And there also needs to be, uh, I think, a, a faster way to, um, to, to kind of swap the apps that you're using in Split View. So right now, let's say that you have Tweetbot on the left side and you have, I don't know, Safari on the right side. If you want to swap the positions, you got to do a whole dance of closing the Split View, opening Safari, then doing the swipe again. There needs to be a faster way. And, you know, while we're talking about Split View, I need to mention drag and drop. Now, the last time I heard um, some of the iPad features, Apple will save them for iOS 10.1.2.3, possibly updates throughout the year and next year. So I don't know just how many iPad features we'll get. And I don't know if drag and drop is one of them. But still, I'm... 
I want to be optimistic that it'll happen sometime during the iOS 10, uh, 10 release cycle, and that will be nice because I want to be able to drop, you know, text, files, images, whatever. Uh, instead of just using the clipboard or extensions, uh, it'll be nice to just touch and hold and drag it away. It'll, it's going to be a nice time saver. I'd like to add on to some of your multitasking stuff. I want all of that, by the way, but uh, the multitasking thing, at a bare minimum, I want a search bar. That would be the most uh, important one to me, I think, because the favorites would be really nice, but just letting me access anything. I would really like a keyboard shortcut to bring up that view, like like Spotlight. So maybe you would hit Command-S. It wouldn't be that, obviously, but you'd hit Command-S, and it it would... automatically bring up that side view and go to the search i could type what i wanted and then arrow up and down and hit what i want and it will automatically pop those two apps into split view i would love that and i don't think i ever would have thought of something like this before but it's just because i use an external keyboard with my ipad pros a hundred percent of the time um and being able to do this would be great i can't think of how you could invoke the the split view quicker with touch right you know we've spoken about this it's slow to bring that across and it's cumbersome but it would be really nice as a quick way to be able to do this with a keyboard shortcut i would i would really love that it's your turn mike you kind of hijacked my my round but i gave you the ability to add on to stevens you just didn't care enough um i'm going super small potatoes of this but it's something i want so much which is better handling of rich text on ios I thought it was going to be a name. <laughs> iOS Mike. Uh, I, it's, it's such a simple thing, but it's something that I really, really want to see done better. Um, if I copy and paste something that's in rich text into another application, I want it to be rich text in the other application. I don't want all the formatting stripped away. It's such a basic thing, and it's done really badly on iOS. Um, and there are a few things where if... You know, I'm I'm finding myself opening up a Mac to do something, which is just sending a couple of emails every week, because it's a pain in the butt to do it otherwise. I can do it otherwise, but it's me copying and pasting lots of little things as opposed to just one whole block of something, like a table or a list, and keeping the bullet formatting as I want it to be between applications. I I really really hope for this. It feels like such a basic thing. But I'm sure you'll agree with me, Federico, that it is handled really badly right now. Yeah, the the rich text framework on iOS is even implemented differently across Apple apps. So you cannot most of the time you you're not able to copy and paste rich text between notes and a mail, for example, or pages. It's all kinds of messed up and it needs to be there needs to be improvements to text kit or whatever to have like a whole new uh, rich text framework that includes, you know, formatting images. Any kind of media, you should be able to copy and paste in a rich text editor. And I don't, I don't think we'll see text edit coming to iOS because Apple has pages there. Uh, but you know, it could be a nice demo. It's even, it's, it's one of those small features that would make for a really nice thirty-second demo to be able to paste bullet lists between apps. You know, uh, it's one of the biggest oversights coming from OS X to have that kind of lack of support for rich text on iOS needs to be needs to be fixed. We're back to you, Stephen. So I'm going to go with the ever-popular story of the Siri API. So we've seen, obviously, a lot of movement here with other companies and other products. But Siri is still basically just locked away in in its little 
you know, a uh, little screen on top of iOS and can't really interact with many apps unless they're built by Apple. So you can say, a telephone, add potatoes to my shopping list. But if your shopping list is in any list or OmniFocus and not reminders, you're out of luck. And I think it's high time for that to change where developers could hook into Siri and Siri could send data from apps and apps could provide Siri with data uh, to return back to you. So you could, you know, you could ask Siri a question about what is on your to-do list and OmniFocus and it could tell you. Uh, there's obviously some, some issues to work out here. The big one being sort of the thing people complain about with the Echo is that it's sort of robotic to talk to. So you have to say, you know, play the song by Federico's band on Spotify because it it can't parse or you can't tell it to always ignore Amazon Prime Music because everyone always wants to ignore Amazon Prime Music. I think they can work through that. I think there's, you know, will be some education there with customers on how it could work, but I think it's time that the Siri API finally be surfaced. I think it's time, right? It's got to be. Feels like it. Federico, you're up. Okay, so what can I pick right now? Let's see. Uh, I'm going to go with the customizable control center uh, just because I feel like I use Control Center a lot for music playback, you know, the, the, the flashlight and those shortcuts. And I would love to be able to have my own shortcuts in there to open the settings that I always use, such as, you know, enable low power mode or, you know, uh, jump to the content blocker sections of the Safari settings uh, or maybe even have an um, app uh, shortcuts at the bottom with quick actions uh, so I can open Tweetbot or I can go to the, the Quip document, for example. Uh, I feel like it, it was great when Apple added Control Center with iOS 7, I want to say, uh, but it's mostly remained the same. Like, aside from design changes and a bunch of addition, minor additions for Apple settings, it hasn't really been opened up to uh, user customization and I feel like it's time to to do that. I agree. I definitely yep. agree. For me, uh, I'm going to go uh, with system-wide dark mode. Um, I am one of those people that I always choose dark modes for applications. It's easier on my eyes. I think it's nicer than, than blinding white light all the time. Um, and I would love to see this pushed by Apple as a thing. So more and more developers were put in a position where they would be thinking more about creating dark UI as opposed to uh, white UI. Uh, so I would really love to see that uh, become a thing in iOS as a system-wide dark mode to, to try and further push along a lot of the stuff that Apple's been doing about color and, and reducing brightness on the, on the screens. Yeah, I would, I would tack onto that too, bringing both that and... Uh, night shift stuff to the Mac because if it's bad when you're looking at a, at an iPhone or an iPad, it's even worse if you're looking at a 27 inch iMac. And so I think that that stuff could become uh, a thing on, on both platforms and maybe even the watch. We spoke about it even on the watch. If you look at your watch in the middle of the night and it's yeah. that bright blue light, it's really jarring. And so like night shift and dark mode, I would like everywhere and I would like them to be independent from each other. So I could run my phone in night in dark mode all the time, which I would do, and only have night shift on at night. So I think, it, yes, it's more toggles and settings, but I think it'd be worth it. All right, Stephen, you do have a pick. 
So I'm going to go with collaborative documents inside of the Notes app. I know that's small. Uh, there's there's bigger things on the list that we, I could go with. Oh, man, I'd love that, though. But I would love it a lot. I use Notes um, heavily, and uh, my wife and I have some shared documents that we have to get into, and they're in Google Docs, which she doesn't like using. She does nothing else in Google Drive except these like three documents we have to look at once a month. And it would be great if it was in notes uh, with the asterisk of LOL, I work in the cloud, that it would have to work better than the, their current document syncing air quote scheme with I work. But I think they could do it. And I think that it would be, it would add another level of, of richness to what already honestly is a pretty good notes app. If they do that and add a font size to the Mac, it'd be great. But notes is really good. And I think that sharing is like the next level up from where they are now. All right, Federico, your final pick. My final pick. Uh, I'm going to go with a new... No, actually, I'm going to go with Xcode on iOS. Oh, yeah, nice. I was about to say messages, but instead... I'm going to pick that one, so you still have something to say. Okay. Um, Xcode for iOS. I feel like it needs to happen. There's a new generation of programmers waiting to be able to learn Swift on iOS and specifically on the iPad. Now, last time I heard there was a some kind of prototype of Xcode for the iPad Pro, I don't know about other iPads, in November. And it was definitely a thing inside Apple. And John Gruber uh, heard the, the same. There was a, a link that he that he shared on during Fireball. So I, I don't know. Uh, we, we haven't heard any rumors about that since. Some people say it's going to be something like Playgrounds uh, from OS X, put it to the, the iPad instead of the full-on Xcode uh, you know, suit of tools and apps. Um, I don't know if you will be able to write uh, an app on, on the iPad and submit it to the App Store, but that's the, the end goal, I feel like, to be able to move development from a Mac to any computer, whether it's a Mac or an iPad and you know, even an iPhone. Because I don't think it's crazy to imagine a future where people can program an app on a phone and to send it to the App Store. It's crazy today, but is it crazy five years, ten years from now? I don't think so. So the idea is to be able to program and to create software for Apple platforms on any Apple computer. And by that, I include the iPhone and the iPad. So maybe this year we'll get a slimmed-down version of Xcode on, on the iPad Pro, or maybe we'll get a full Xcode on iOS. I don't know. The focus, it's the entire WWC promotional material, the entire website seems to be heavily Swift uh, themed. That makes sense with the with the release of Swift uh, 3.0 coming out. Uh, but I feel like that could be, in addition to App Store changes, that could be the developer announcement at WWDC. And if it happens... I feel like a new, an entire category of people, including me, will finally be able to learn programming to try out Swift for real in an Apple developer tool on iOS, which is great. And uh, I'm really excited about that, about that possibility. Me and you have both said that we think it's going to happen, right? Um, I believe that it's going to occur. I just think that the iPad Pro is begging for this. And yes. I think it will be whatever it is. It will be just swift. But I, 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 I think it's going to be. 
I think we're going to get something. Uh, my final pick uh, and the final pick is revamped iMessages. There are so many services now that do some core parts of messaging so much better than iMessages does. Uh, basically, iMessage needs to become aware of the internet. Um, what we need to see at a very bare minimum, I believe, is stuff like just rich previews. You know, if I send Stephen a tweet in iMessage, I want him to see what the tweet is without having to click through to the link. Like, just expand that stuff. It's all there. The metadata is all there. It's all available to just pull in. Slack does it. Telegram does it. You know, so many applications are able to pull this stuff in and do things with it. I would love to see that. You know, I you know, come along with that more emoji stuff. Just go crazy with the emoji. Put them everywhere. Make them big, right? Big emoji when you're just sending an emoji. I love that. It's one of my favorite things in in applications these days. I love big emoji. You know, really kind of make iMessage the great again. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, but I will go with that. Uh, make it a, a messaging service that you would expect to see in 2016. You, you know, stuff like stickers would be interesting. You don't have to go that far, right? Like, it would be great, but, like, just make it more aware of the internet and, and bring it into line with messaging services because right now iMessage just feels like SMS, and it's not that, but it, that's what it feels like. All right, so that's it. WWDC stuff. Um if you want more WWC predictions and you enjoy people picking things, uh, on Upgrade this week, me and Jason did a WWDC prediction draft. We started with 28 predictions. We picked one each until we have a list of 14, which is the first Upgrade WWDC draft. So we speak about more prediction stuff than we had time for today because Apple dropped an absolute bombshell on us. So you can go check that out if you want to. Next week on Connected is going to be a very <laughs> big thing. Uh-huh. Oh, RelayCon. Mm-hmm. WWDC. Next week we're going to be on Monday uh having a cavalcade of Relay FM stars on stage uh doing a few different show like things. Uh it's going to be recorded. We're doing it live with an audience in San Francisco. It will be released as an episode of Connected. So that will be Monday or Tuesday. You'll get that. Uh look forward to it. We're been working very hard on it we're very excited about it and i hope that you enjoy it so that's what you're going to get from us next week until then if you want to find our show notes head on over to relay.fm slash connected slash 94 if you want to find federico online he is at vitici v-i-t-i-c-c-i uh, he writes at maxstories.net. Federico is joining me in london we look forward to seeing everyone at the connected meetup this week it's going to be a great time. I'm very excited. Stephen, we will then be meeting up with in San Francisco, and we all look forward to it. I think I speak to all of us. If you are a connected listener, come over and say hi. We cannot wait to meet all of you that are going to be in San Francisco next week. Stephen is uh, at ISMH on Twitter, and he writes over at 512pixels.net. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Thank you to Squarespace and Braintree, and we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Arrivederci. Adios.